You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Good afternoon, Bracken. Good day. Good day. Ooh, that's fitting. How, how does it uh, how does it feel to be in the the presence of royalty right now? Well, I've always considered you royalty, Kirk. But mm. do you have an announcement to make to me that justifies B- my big deal over here, Bracken? I am a tier three athlete. Bow down, sir. I think that clap was a little too fast. I think maybe we should slow that one down. There it is. There it is. I had a conversation this morning with an athlete that I work with, Ian Floyd, and we discussed your Tier 3 status, Kirk. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, we went over all all the different tiers and who made their pro contracts, and we were both happy for you. Good. For two reasons. We were happy that you got signed. Yeah. That is a, regardless of how you feel about any of it, being offered a contract and then signing it is an acknowledgement of your body of work. Fair. And so we were happy for you for that. And I was happy for you for the fire that got lit because tier three. Yeah. There's only three tiers. <laughs> and no one ever says we're number three. So yeah. I just have to assume that you're saving that old receipt, as they say. I got a um I got a dartboard that I just put up in my office and it actually just has a uh, a picture of Jack Bauer on it. And so Why? And so I'm just going to just keep tossing darts at that thing until opener. Is it his fault? <laughs> no, they I I'm not I'm not, I'm just kidding Jack. I think you're fantastic. I deserved a tier 3 because I didn't race very much. However, I beat most of the guys on tier two at some point throughout the season, but I just didn't have a big presence. You know, my season kind of fell apart. So I'm happy to race for free, which is basically what tier three gets. But in the internal email, um, it was it was on the Bauer rankings with the little TM sign system. So so Bauer's a Bauer's, TM. Wow. Yeah, it had the trademark symbol. So um, I believe they they went off of Jack Bauer's power rankings, which um, I actually think are valid. So, uh, but the having his face on the dartboard is still fun. Good. How do you feel, Bracken? You only raced one Spartan race last year, I believe. Correct. Well, two, one. You finished three. Three. Jacksonville. Yeah. Point nine nine miles in, got shot in the leg. Yeah. Ohio took my medicine like a big boy yep. got whooped and then city field took second oh yeah you think city field might uh might have been uh, enough but so am i offended by it no because they are correct i have no body of work that justifies being one of the current members of the team mm-hmm athletically is my ego just like banging around the cage right now furious at the world absolutely it's good I'm for a competitor, you kirk that's good for you and my ego says my lifelong body of work demands at minimum tier three listen robert killian two-time world champion is tier three it's outrageous that he's tier three but it's that that's that's the thing like no one like myself, can get offended when Robert Killian's tier three. That's exactly what I thought. 
he won the last legitimate, I don't want to say legitimate, the last Spartan Race World Championships held on a Spartan Race course. Mm-hmm. Wild. This was a legitimate race in Abu Dhabi, but it was not a test of the normal series. He won the last one. He's only one year, technically, if you take COVID away, removed from winning Worlds, and he is their bottom-ranked signed athlete. So, again, through the, through the spectrum of logic, mm-hmm. I have no qualms with the process, Kirk. No, I'm a big fan of what Jack Bauer does, and I think he has the best system I've seen as far as coming up with tiering athletes. Um, I think this was my lowest ranking on his system in the past like four or five years based on uh, my season. It had to have only been this calendar year. Only this calendar year. It was explained in the email. It's only based on your Which is tough. your past calendar year, and it is kind of is what it is. If you had a good year, you got – Got signed. What we're talking about, folks, I suppose we're just assuming you know, but Spartan basically, Spartan Race released their pro roster. We're not the pro team. You are now a Spartan pro. It's left at that. Um, and there were three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three, all over the world and all the different continents. Um, and there was tiered to um, like travel stipend, merchandise, lodging for series races all these were up for grabs tier one got the most of everything tier two got a lesser version of everything and then tier three got free races a jersey and a headband which is me here oh and a hundred dollars in merch which i am grateful for again i don't i know um i i'm not complaining at all because like i've always said spartan knows us nothing and i still stand by that so the fact that i don't have to spend a thousand bucks on a season pass is a win in my eyes, and so I'm, I'm grateful for it. But um, there's so many egos in this sport, and mine is one of them, yours is one of them. It's Most people looked at that and were butthurt over oh, yeah. puffing their chests out. Yep. Because everyone in the, the – the sport has parity now, right? Like there isn't really uh, – the closest thing to a king on top is Ryan Atkins. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, everyone can beat everyone. And has. So everyone has a legitimate claim that, well, this person got signed and I've beat them. Or I may even beat them multiple times. I might have a winning record against them in my career. So everyone has a legitimate beef with it. Mm -hmm. And that's just the nature of the game. Across the board, there are stud athletes who are not signed to the team of their choosing or even in the league that sit at home and be like, I don't even, I'm better than that guy that's in the league right now. This is just what happens. Yep. And part of it is a sign of the growth of the sport. I was here at the beginning, which I know people are probably tired of me saying, but I feel like it gives me perspective. At the beginning, it was really not a controversy because anyone who was absolutely good enough to make a podium was on the team. Right. And anyone who wasn't, wasn't on the team because they signed anyone who could make a podium and there weren't that many people because the sport was small controversy kind of justifies how good and deep the sport has come. So I, I take that part as a Mm. very positive move forward, as is the fact that they even have a team. I agree. Or a roster of athletes. I thought that ship had sailed. So I applaud it. And the best possible thing for my year is that I wasn't signed. Uh huh. I know you don't care because you chose not to be a part of the Spartan pro team. Like at your core. Well, Ego, the athlete Ego, in me cares. correct. However, you've turned down the opportunity in the past. The human in me wouldn't have signed this contract on principle. 
the mm. athlete in me says, how dare you not give me the chance to turn you down? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I'd be a hypocrite if I was angry. They're doing the best they can, and I appreciate what they're doing for us. I um, I, I just think, yeah, there's there's a few people uh, using that as as motivation, I think, moving forward, which will be good, which will be good. There were a few names on there. I mean, a few names on there I didn't really recognize. Or, like, what, I, what surprised me a little bit about the list was – um, like some people maybe only showed up to like two U.S. National Series races and that's all they raced all year, but they per- performed pretty well, like a Lars Arneson. Um, and they, that's enough to get them on like a B team or tier two. Sound, does that sound better or worse than B team? Way better. Tier two does. Yeah. C team. If I'm a C team. Now Lars, I can't, I can't argue his. No, but just saying frequency of races and stuff, obviously. Correct. Yeah. And, and my curiosity Hawk. is, and, and Hawk call. Yeah. Um, which race. race once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And deserve, I, w- I would sign him if I had discretionary funds. He'd be one of the first I'd go after. So my, my curiosity, and then we'll move on, I think, to what we're doing today. But um, you know how for the Spartan uh, U.S. National Series A group, they came out with the scoring system, which is a percentage of winner system, which is what they did in the way past, I believe. And seeing this document, this, you know, um, protein document come through via email. This came through last night, which was like Wednesday night, um, from Steve Hammond. And it had the Bauer ranking systems trademark on there. And that was like heavily infused throughout. And so my curiosity, they haven't announced, did they, have they announced the scoring system for the North American elite series? I don't know if it was official. I thought they were sticking with their standardized point template rather than a calculation of winners, percentage of winners. Are they? Okay. Maybe they are. It just made me, I should know that I suppose, but um, made me curious as if they were going to go to a percentage of winner style, which would get messy, but I was curious. I like the theory of it. I do not like it in execution. Didn't work out well when they did it in the past. It really only rewards the studs. It, I, I, I don't know. How to, it rewards front runners. It doesn't reward great racing. Mm. It turns everything into you have to just hammer start to finish and time trial. Yeah, except the race isn't a time trial, so it rewards people that function best in that get to the front and charge. Like there were there's times where you'd have a group of four people battling for second place, and it become a tactical like surge match, surge settle in, and whoever won it was just a a gritty, mentally tough, physically strong, well-executing beast, mm-hmm. but they'd only get one more point than the person behind them and like 80 points less than the person ahead. So right, right. It, it didn't really reward how you raced, only what your time was. And I'm not sure if I'm qualified to say which one's more appropriate for a series. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a good point. Every po- place should matter. Is, is I guess my big takeaway and when it's percentage mm-hmm. of winner's time if you get beat it doesn't matter because it's percentage you can take second third fourth fifth in a photo finish and you all get the same points so you didn't really have incentive to make sense I yep I agree with that now that you put it that way should we because we have just a slighter small window today do you want to jump into things let's do that we, we let's do some housekeeping today we have mm-hmm. a a slew of unanswered 2021 Q&A questions, and we just want to empty out. I can't say the trash because this is good stuff, <laughs> but do some spring cleaning in the middle of winter. Well, I feel a little bad, and I know sometimes when I'm, I'm assuming as a listener, when you see like, oh, another Q&A from the running public, you kind of roll your eyes maybe because it seems like 
I don't know, an easy route to take for an episode. But my my last screenshot is from October 14th. It's been three months since we've done a Q&A. And there's so many good questions that people leave for us. And I feel like we're just leaving them out to dry if we don't. And November 1st for me. Yeah, mine's October 14th. So we're way overdue, point being. Um, and sometimes this brings up topics we wouldn't normally chat about. So I think we try to bang out as many of these as we can Yeah, for the good people of the running public. I think so. We got we to gotta clear the cash. Clear the cash. Who wants to start? Go ahead and start. I, I assume you have more than me. We might have to go, you go, you go, I go. <clears throat> All right. This is from Elijah Porter. This was emailed to both of us. Kirk, I have terrible news before we start. What? My the the shipment just arrived this morning out of nowhere. Why is that terrible news? They just don't look that great. And the oh, sizing no. is still screwed up. I have two X and three X, and the two X is still almost skin tight. Then three X is barely not skin tight. And it just they don't look that great. How's that possible? Are you ordering from like a children's website? I spend a lot of time on children's websites. <laughs> Careful. Do you, I meant do you, that I have kids. Yeah, I, I know <laughs> what you I meant I do a lot there. of shopping for them. <laughs> I, I understand that I maybe should just edit that last time. <laughs> we'll see. It plays weird. It does play weird. Um, that's bizarre how that how that works. That's ah, a bummer. I'm glad you're still racing regardless. Sorry to hear that. So I had to get that off my chest. Continue on. All right. Um, Elijah Porter says he's got a couple of uh, two things. One is titled quality in quotation marks. I have two observations and a question about the term quality as used by the running public. The first observation is that the term quality never actually appears in the running public training plan workouts. The second observation is that even though it has to be one of your most commonly used terms, you never addressed it on your terminology 101 podcast. Now, we did do a quality episode though, didn't we? Yes. What does quality mean? So we're a little... This this must have been after that. And my question is, does calling some runs quality infer that some runs are high quality and some are therefore low quality? You beat the drum on every episode that all the workouts are important, but calling only some of them quality seems to contradict this notion. Is your own terminology working against you, smiley face? Question mark. What do you think? Are these the days that we live in, Kirk? We have to ask Elijah. I'm just kidding. But ye, I'm going to say, if you want to read into it far enough, yes, our words are working against you. But we didn't call them intense days or hard days because we didn't want to conflate intensity or hard with quality work. So, yes, I guess if you wanted to look at the other side of the coin, if it this is a quality day, an easy recovery day could be considered not quality. But the quality really refers to the, uh, the, the type of hard work that's being done. We're mm-hmm. not working hard on those days. We're working for quality work. We're not just thrashing to thrash. We're doing this in a quality control setting. So mm-hmm. it doesn't reflect on anything else other than the wrong way of doing that day's workout. That's my take on it. Okay. I, I mean, he brings up a good point, I guess, if you want to like does. split, if you want to split hairs, right? If you're a hair splitter and you, and you like to play devil's advocate, this would be a good angle to take, so to speak. So what would the other word be? We can't say aerobic versus anaerobic because we consider an easy long run quality if mm-hmm. it requires recovery afterwards. Correct. So you can have quality that's done without going anaerobic. 
I think that's the way we, we addressed it in our quality. Our episode is if it requires recovery, it is quality. You can't say important because the opposite of important is not important. So what term? What blanket term? Uh, hard and easy, I guess, would be probably even closer to politically correct in this realm. Hard and see, winter? I like that even less. Well, right, but it doesn't get us in a corner like quality and not quality. No, it just opens up other doors. <laughs> it does. Like if I didn't work hard, I don't need a recovery. I challenge Elijah to answer his own question for us. It's a good question, but I want I want I want a suggestion rather than just a. Uh, you fix it. Give me an option for fix. No, it's a. That's why we're sitting here stumped. It's valid. I begrudgingly give him a compliment, and maybe begrudgingly because it hurts my ego to say that this isn't the best term, which it probably isn't. But I don't have a better term. But I'm open. Anybody. All right, and then um, he ends it with thanks. Love the show. And the guy lives in Stratton, Vermont, so I think he's uh, he's got some he's got some good terrain there. Uh, second question is: Can we or should we grow OCR for kids? says, when I go hiking with my six-year-old daughter, she likes to go fast and race up ahead, scramble over rocks. She keeps a good pace for a long time and seems exhilarated when she breaks for a breather. It seems she might have the makings of a runner. I like the idea of her embracing running, and at the same time, I worry. As we know, body weight image issues plague female runners. It occurs to me that OCR's emphasis on balancing strength with speed and endurance is potentially healthier, both physically and mentally. Do you guys agree? Should we be growing OCR as a healthier alternative to pure running? Is that already happening? This guy's a deep thinker. He is. And I I agree with everything he said until he said instead of. I don't believe we should avoid something that has problems in its application. Like it's user error if we develop eating disorders and body dysmorphia Mm -hmm. and body images. Like running doesn't cause it. It's the associated pieces. And so I can't get behind that sentiment. But I do believe that, yeah, kids should be encouraged to do anything that they are intrigued by. And if that's OCR, we should grow it. And, yeah, absolutely, we can. But there's a downside to this, Kirk. And that is that the moment Spartan introduced actual competitive kids races, I started seeing Instagram profiles pop up for 10-year-old kids Mm -hmm. who are elite Spartan competitive athletes. And it just broke my heart. It did. That is not the purpose of youth competition. Mm-hmm. But but it, 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 to the other side of the coin, you're seeing Instagram accounts for 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds pop up for every facet. The kid plays the violin. They're, they're Either their parents have created it or they're these young prodigies. And so that's like the day we're in, I think. And I hate it all. If I was 12 would I ha- or 10, would I have an Instagram account right now? If my parents allowed me to have a smartphone, I knew what it was. Yeah. I think I probably would, and I'd be posting, who knows, my sandcastles on there. I'm not sure, but I don't know. I I guess I'm not even inherently against social media accounts for kids. My kids don't have them and won't get a smartphone for a long time, but it's not, it's not that I don't want kids to have exposure or don't want them to be able to promote what they do. It's just that I have we have lived the life of once you have a social media component tied to what you do, it changes what you post, why you post, and how you feel about yourself if you do or don't post or do or don't give get reactions. And what we want to do for kids is grow love for whatever they're doing and start laying in lifelong actions and habits and personality components. Not 
get them addicted to the feeling of I get likes when I do something epic and mm-hmm. I have to constantly show a fake best version of myself. So I know this is getting way off the rails, but I do want to grow any sport that helps kids be their best adult self in the future. Full stop. I agree with all of that. Yeah. I, I, I'll just answer this question more directly. And that is that like, you know, when we uh, talked to Kelly Schweikart about her relationship with food last week, um, and I said, is this common in the soccer world? You don't see it very often in the soccer world, which promotes a different sort of athleticism. She said, not that I know of, not that it doesn't exist, but I don't see this in the soccer world nearly as much as I see it in the endurance world. And I do agree that there's a healthier, strong, skinny isn't necessarily better mentality of Spartan. Like if you follow along just the general mantra, the athletes, uh, Hunter McIntyre's of the worlds are really good for the sport in that sense. I think um, the answer, in my opinion, is yes. I think it's probably a little less potentially harmful because of the nature of the sport. But what do you do with that? I don't know. But I like the idea of of your kid working towards it if it pumps them up and it keeps them healthy, just as you said. So, But that's my two cents. I'm sure everybody, you know, probably falls in the same boat. Shall I? Shall you? Here's the question. Am I being tough or am I being stupid? Or am I being smart or am I being weak? This is in terms of injury and soreness and pain. Okay. So things like bruises or sore muscles, you should always tough it out. But when it comes to joints, tendons, low back, or a a muscle, um, it's not so clear to me. Yesterday I got sharp pain in knee after squats. I don't think I injured it and felt okay this morning, but being cautious. So we'll wait to try out how I feel on tomorrow's run. All right. When do you tough it out and when do you not? This is a big topic. Could be a whole episode, mm-hmm. but broad strokes. How do we feel about this? Um, I, the fir- there's one first rule of thumb that – two rules of thumb that I go by actually. One is real simple, and, and the answer is if it hurts when you push on it, stop pushing on it. Mm-hmm. Rule one, <laughs> okay? Don't freak yourself out. If it hurts when you push, don't push. Don't be a dummy. Don't dig at it if, if – whatever. It's just going to – cause you to freak out second um the simple rule you have the red light green light sort of rule and that is go ahead and try running if the pain stays the same or gets better as your run continues green light you can continue training in some form and if the pain worsens as you are continuing to run or it's so bad in the beginning that obviously your biomechanics are compromised that is a firm red light no running Go back to the drawing board or cross training. So if the pain stays the same or gets better as you're running, green light. If it gets worse, red light. It's like the simple principle I go on, no matter what the injury is. What about you? And we're starting to age, Kirk. We're starting to age a little bit. And what we are learning, <laughs> long, slow, painful learning process, is that every individual building block counts And there is no one day worth compromising all those other little individual building blocks. Like you're the culmination of months and years of work. 100%. So getting back to it one day earlier does not improve you down the road, but it could possibly hurt you. So my take is when in doubt, cross train. Because let's say the course of 365 days, if you make that decision 10 times in a year, which could be high. 10 days of running is not going to be the difference between you getting your goal and not getting your goal. Especially if you do something on that day that's just not running. 
But those, any one of those 10 days could be the difference between hitting your goal and not hitting your goal. So when it's very clear, red light, green light, follow that. And when it's yellow light, it's a red light. 100% agree. Question, I just turned on my space heater. Can you hear any difference in my audio? I hear something. Dang it. But it, but that doesn't mean it's going to show up because I have thresholds set for, for what actually gets edited out when I remove silence. So I don't think it's loud enough that I'll have to remove all right, my toes are freezing off over here, Bracken. Can't have that. We need toes for balance. I'm still trying to figure out my audio, folks, by the way. I got a new microphone, new setup, and I'm still not quite as sultry as Bracken Cracker is in the microphone. Have you tried COVID? It really gives you a little rasp to your voice. Yeah, you do sound nice. I haven't tried that. I don't think I'll take the risk. Um, I think we can move on from that one. What do you think? I think so. Okay. Um, Michael Greve says... Actually, you know what? I have one last analogy to Kirk for that. Ooh, I like analogies. All right. Historically, I'm a, I eat food that's touch and go. If it's a little bit iffy, I swing. I swing for it. I roll the dice. I live a little bit. This last year, Lisa was so <laughs> proud of me. I made the commitment to, when in doubt, pitch it out. Ooh. Because you can't get sick if you don't eat it. Has it ever bit you once? Yeah, but I have a pretty strong stomach, so it biting me is like one afternoon of diarrhea, and then I'm back on the... Okay. It's not like I get sick. I just upset tummy for a couple hours, and I'm back. And for some reason, that was always worth it. For me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be fine. But I can't have that if I don't try it. That's fair. And, and like, you can't get injured if you don't push the envelope. We always feel so desperate to continue pushing through running or get back to training, and once you get some perspective, like, you know, we've been running for 20 plus years. I've been running for 25 competitively now, which makes me feel real old. Um, there's just no damn rush. Even if a race is three weeks out, some of my best races came after weeks of cross training through an injury, being smart and still being able to pop it. It's just like, just have confidence in your, in your, your body of work, as you said. Um, now we can say that now because we've just done it so many times, but if I was a young 20 something like days feel like months and it's just, I wish I, you know, people had that perspective. If I look at my career and career is a very generous term, but my running career, if I could do things over, if I got like 10 free passes to redo things, Mm -hmm. I would say only two or three would be tactical choices I've made during a race. All the others would be not trying to push through something Mm -hmm. like no one ever said you know what i think i'm the exception to the rule that i backed off and i just regret it no you're always the exception to the rule if you push through it and you make it through it i agree it's just it's not worth it's not worth the gamble not worth the gamble i agree Uh, michael greve says how do you determine if you have a niggle nagle a niggle nagle that should have you following the three-day rule Would it be feeling that issue in back-to-back workouts, or how would you make that call? I felt something spring up on the inside of my left leg on the shin doing 30-30 on Tuesday. Completed the first round and did cool down. Fast fast Wednesday felt something, must be fast forward to Wednesday, felt something at the beginning of a deload recovery, but it faded throughout. Then I definitely felt it stepping down while doing box step-ups. I imagine the best route would be to call it for three days uh, and do NIC. Appreciate your feedback as always. Got a little theme here. I think you just outlined exactly how you use it. Mm-hmm. If you're coming off of an actual something, three-day rule works great. Yep. You can apply it early on, but if it only needs a, a day or two, then take the day or two. But when it starts to become a theme, now you've earned it. 
Um, do you want to just label your three or outline your three day rule for people who? Yeah, my my three day rules. It, it, there's no science behind this. This is just what's worked for me, and it's when I'm coming off of something actually bad. If mm-hmm. I'm taking it, or even just coming off of time away from training, but I have to want it and be healthy enough to do it three consecutive days before I get to. So like coming off of an ultra, I take my time away. And on day one where I'm like, I feel healthy enough to run and I want to do it. That's day one. Day two, if I don't wake up feeling the same thing, I go back to not doing it. Yep. And on day three, I wake up and hey, I'm ready to do it again. And I want to. Well, that's day one now. So as soon as you string three together of wanting to do it and being physically healthy enough to do it, then that's my green light that I get to start again. And that's just my way of protecting myself from a mood swing. Yeah. Or suddenly it's like, oh, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. I feel ready. Well, this is my my way of knowing that I'm not to be trusted. Well, backed by science or not, like you have to have ways to make your decisions. And if you come up with rules like this, it makes that decision way less painful. And we are competitive, driven people. We know that our tendency is to rush the process. So you have to have guardrails in place to save you from yourself. Yep. If you're the person that you know your tendency is to look for any way out of a workout, then you have to use the opposite guidelines. Like it's just sore. You got to work out. I don't want to work out three days in a row, so maybe I shouldn't on day four. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, Jake uh, Clinker says, question for the next Q&A after listening to the weight loss episode. People despise me when I ask this question in parentheses. Dun, dun, dun. Do you have tips for gaining weight while still doing a lot of training? I've felt for a long time that I'd benefit from an extra 10 pounds, and I'd like to try that out. But I've found it impossible to put on any extra weight no matter how much eating and lifting I do. I run about 60 to 80 miles a week. Is this just not going to happen for me at that volume? I think there's two pieces to address here. One is the actual science behind the weight. Actual, like Maybe that's your realm there, Kirk, of how calories work and how you gain mm-hmm. weight. And then the other is... Is the, is the psychology behind why you think you need 10 pounds. Because I think you and I both are the same that we always have a little bit of a cringe when we hear someone say, I just think I'd be better if, and they name a number. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm not like cringing at your question, Jacob. Just the, the, the idea is that I think we need to have more black and white tangible goals than pounds. Because pounds don't translate in a one-to-one capacity. I think I'd like to know what you think that does. Like I would benefit if I had 10 more pounds of power output or if I could Mm -hmm. put more strength into the Herc hoist or if I would be better at powering up a mountain if I had more leg drive. I think actual quantifiable like almost skill sets that you wish you had more of is more useful than saying I want 10 pounds because 10 pounds is not 10 pounds is not 10 pounds. There are many ways to have 10 pounds on your body. And so I think the outcome is way more important to focus on than the actual number of 10. Yeah, I think for the sake of like discussion, maybe he was just, you know, blanket stating like, hey, how do I gain some muscle right now where I feel like maybe, you know, we would deserve a longer conversation. Like I get burnt on the sandbag or the hoist is too heavy and I know I could use more muscle. So give him the benefit of the doubt there. And the answer to that question is a tough one. It really is. It's almost like um, if you if you have done heavy strength training while running high volume, and you've noticed that you haven't you know gained the muscle mass that you feel is necessary for you, a lot of times you're kind of the the candidate for um, like a really focused periodized 
sort of year in a sense where maybe you are the guy who takes one to two months of an off season where you only run recovery work three days a week and then you heavy strength train three days a week and actually give yourself a chance uh, without the huge caloric deficit. If you think it's going to move the needle that much in your Spartan racing um, to be to be balanced as I feel like you're, you're looking at this, um, you may have to just take the hit there because, hey, maybe a 15-second faster Hercoise and a 20-second faster Sandbag carry and a 20-second faster Bucket carry in the same race is going to yield you a faster overall time than if you were continuing to run train so like it's a tough thing to balance out but i would say that you are a candidate like like i already referred to hunter mcintyre once where he takes uh three months it's about every year where he builds his weight and strength back up and then he sort of tapers and chips away at it throughout the year and starts the process over um yeah you'd probably be a really good candidate for that to be honest but that's a tough pill to swallow when running is your jam um but that would be where my instinct actually goes right away and then of course you might not just be eating enough which you need such yeah. a surplus of calories in order to build muscle. And if you're running that much, it's tough to get all that in. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that you might just be the candidate for some people. Re- I mean, scientifically, you can't optimize strength and endurance at the same time, but some people can build both simultaneously. It just skews one way or the other. Yeah. You might be someone that needs dichotomy there. You can't build any power while you're doing endurance training. So yeah, you might have to go down a bit. But I think your second point's important for people to remember is that just like a lot of people don't truly understand how much, how many extra calories they're taking in when they're doing mindless eating, mm-hmm. the other side of the coin is that people who struggle to gain weight truly don't realize how much they're burning and how little they're eating. Yep. That unless you know for sure what your expenditure is versus your your intake, uh, just assume you're underfueling. And like, the cheap, easy way is mass gainers. Drink your calories. It's mm-hmm. an easy way for someone who doesn't have the appetite and doing a lot of training. You chug one of those or two of those a day, and you just suddenly have a bigger, just maybe not even a surplus, but you're getting towards a surplus of calories, which is what you're going to need. Yep. But it's one of the two. You're either doing too much or you're not eating enough. And if it's not that, then like you said, periodize a little differently. Yep. It's tough. It is a, people scoff at that, but it's as real of an issue as the opposite issue. Well, I mean, gaining, and somebody will get mad at me for this, but gaining good weight is significantly harder than losing bad weight. Um, For a lot of people, it's slower in general. Um, So it can be a frustrating process for people who are underweight, so to speak. And anybody who's tried to do it um, can know that it can be a bit of a struggle and, and progress is much slower on the scale for sure. Gaining weight, good weight versus losing bad weight. So yeah, I understand why people would scoff at that because most people aren't in his situation, but the ones that are, like, their their struggle can be real at times too. So I get it. There's been a huge movement of body positivity, but it yep. doesn't usually extend to thin people. Right, right. It extends on one side of the spectrum, but there still is a lot of negative body talk when someone announces that they've lost a lot of weight or that they are too thin and want to gain weight, people tend to still attack that. So it's not promoted in the same to the same level. And obviously we understand why, but it's tough. I I think that the single quickest way to gain weight is a guy, if you're not doing a pure mass gainer. And again, this is as a guy because we're more susceptible to it, but it's creatine. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if you're lifting heavy in conjunction with it. If you're not, the water retention alone is going to give you a few pounds. Yeah. But that's not real weight, but no. But yeah. If we're just talking, put a few pounds on right away to give you some just more mass. 
creatine and mass gainer before bed and some heavy, heavy lifting. Yeah. Hello. Uh, you want to go? Or you want me to go another one? Oh, let's, uh, let's, let me roll the dice here a little bit. Cool. <laughs> We've heard this question before. You've said many times you won't monetize the podcast with sponsors. Why not? You should do it. Think about it. There's a lot more to it, but I'm just summarizing. We said for a long time that we just don't want to do it because it complicates the mission and the message. That you can only be trusted that what you're saying is true if there are no strings attached. No mm-hmm. ulterior motives. Um, Kirk and I actually just talked about this a little bit recently. We did. That there still are definitely ways to monetize it and, you know, kind of justify the amount of time he and I are spending on this now, two years in, without compromising the message. So I guess we shouldn't say that we never will, but we never will in a way that compromises the words we're saying. We want you to always take everything we say at face value, even if you don't believe it, to know that we believe it. So that that would be our caveat always, that maybe the Mm -hmm. perfect sponsor exists for us. And if we find that, we won't slam the door on that. And I guess just to give you a peek behind the curtains a little bit, like we are our own sponsors, right? Like we actually have chosen to monetize this by creating the running public training plan. And Mm -hmm. you and I are fortunate enough that sometimes athletes reach out for personal coaching because they've heard us on the podcast and those are all non-sponsored, but it still allows us to be who we are and, and condone what we condone and support what we support. So we, we are monetizing the podcast. Absolutely. Um, yeah. in, in that way. And then the sponsor thing just adds, you know, we, we don't know anybody, anything but ourselves. And so that's, it's a nice position to be in, but yeah, I think the right relationship will come along. Don't you? I think so. I do. And yeah. I'd be more likely to choose that than to start a Patreon. Yeah. And I love the idea of a Patreon that just allows people to donate what they see fit if they believe it's worth it and worth their time and whatever. But the downside is that most of the message we get say, just do that. It'll be easy. And then you can just throw a few extra things up on that. And that's what I don't want to do. Yeah. We want this to be free access information at all levels, not pay to play ever. Even if it seems insignificant, if it's truly insignificant, we don't belong putting it behind a paywall. And if it truly is important, it doesn't belong behind a paywall. Yeah. So that's kind of our, our holdup on page. Yep. Um, M.A. Malone uh, says, I noticed in some recent race photos that my upper body looked very stiff. When descending, I'm very conscious to relax my arms and let them move naturally. But on ascents and flats, it seems like my upper body, upper bicep is always in contact with my torso. Is this necessarily a good or a bad thing? If I should run more loosely, how could that be practiced? I hope this makes sense. Why don't you start that one out? Uh, That's a tricky one. Um, A race photo, first of all, doesn't tell you a whole lot about what you actually look like in motion. And most of us probably roll our eyes at our race photos when we see them. Oh, I don't Mm -hmm. look as jacked as I thought I was. Or I'm so pale. Or look at that pouch around my belly. Or... I look stupid, (laughs) but point being is it's tough to catch you looking like superhero, right? In those race photos. So, and then we don't see you in motion. So it's tough to like base it off of race photos because I look like I've never run a step in my life. In most of my race photos, I look like if you took it out of context, big, that guy's not a runner. So I don't really know if that's a good indicator of, of your fluidity. A video sure would help. Uh, Maybe you have videos to back that up, but um, great question. All I know is like, if I'm relaxed, uh, go watch, go watch 
the Steve Prefontaine movie Without Limits. And there's a clip in the Olympic finals, and he's elbowing with Mohamed Gamudi. And Mohamed Gamudi's lower lip is just bouncing. His chin is just jobbling like it's like not even connected to the rest of his head, right? And he's so relaxed that his mouth is bouncing with each stride. I find that if I am loose in the face, everything below my neck is loose as well. So it starts from your head, from your face. You can relax your face. Um, the rest of the body should follow. Go watch Muhammad Gamudi run. How's that for an answer? And every good 100-meter dash runner, they bounce. Face and fingers, people. If you can relax your face and fingers, it's tough to tense anything else. Yeah. We've talked about that before, the flex test. Try to flex maximum flexion, your entire body, like your most muscular pose, with your face and fingers limp. And then try to squeeze your face and fingers as tight as possible and keep the rest of your body totally, totally relaxed. It's tough. So those control everything. You're right. Hands, fingers. Good point. Yeah, the picture we can't, we just can't draw any conclusions. For example, I had pictures from City Field where I was doing something real goofy with my arms. It looked like in my in my photo. I thought, man, my arms are just, my arm swing is terrible. But I got a, uh, from, a from someone that I know, they sent me a quick like six second video of me running through the same patch. And I realized, no, I looked normal. I had made a slight little adjustment with where I placed my feet. My body, upper body responded accordingly. And I looked just fine running actually. Uh So I think the best thing you can possibly do is whenever possible, have someone get a quick little video of you running in a race. That will always be the shocker. We rarely look how we feel when we're tired. Mm -hmm. So try to get race footage just even beforehand. Be like, hey, when I run by, just get me 10 seconds when I run. You all need a Jess in your life like I have. She does good about that. I just watched you run. I was on the assault bike just before this, getting in some recovery work. And... I'm just out of content, so I went back to watch the Spartan Rewinds and uh, maybe it was like a Montana race, 2015 or 16, and you took second, I believe, in that race. Anyways, and you uh, you looked so relaxed and smooth, like you just, just like butter. And I would love to see the race photos from that race compared to what you looked like in video because I bet you it would outline perfectly because you look so efficient in there and you look so in control and your race photos may depict otherwise, so... I'd be curious, but I was just, I can't get enough of you, Bracken. Can't get enough of you. Kirk, I like that you're looking at me on your, during your workout. Yeah, I just, it's like. It's... I would like to provide you with some newer footage, but it's going to require getting on film at a big race, which means you have to be up in the race. So, TBD. But I'm already on to like 2016 or something, and and the next one, and you weren't. They showed you at the start line, but then I never saw you again. That, that tracks. Yeah. all right question i like to give blood two or three times a year this has a big impact on my training intensity i basically basically take it easy easy for the first week following i had the next one pulled up (laughs) same one go ahead finish me off no 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 don't talk like that go ahead i basically take it easy the first week following (laughs) donation and return to my normal routine after that but but i can't run or do anything with real intensity for up to three weeks perhaps there is a way i could do this better is this something you know about Hear these sirens? Yeah, I or do. could advise me on? <sighs> I mean, good on you. Blood is always in uh, in need. So thank you for doing your part to help the human race. You know, when I was a freshman in high school, I got real mad at somebody for giving blood. Really pissed me off. David Fralick, probably don't listen to this. It was the city championships. We ended up going to state that year, thankfully. 
as a cross-country team, but he gave blood that morning, like the blood drive came to school, and he chose to do it. Wow, those are some sirens. Everything good over there, Bracken? It's a tough, tough neighborhood, Kirk. Let's hope so. It is. Um, anyways, David passed out with 600 meters to go in the race. He was like our number number three to five guy, and he ended up uh, not finishing the race. And we lost the city championship, and I blamed it solely on David. I was very upset as a 14-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy anyways. It, it impacts you greatly, and I think it is. It's like a two-week or so, 10 days before you're fully back to red blood cell count and I believe plasma levels, right? I don't know exactly. Somebody could correct me, but it impacts you for sure. You have to have Dr. Anna or someone give us the real science behind this, but you almost have to treat it like you're going up to altitude. Got to make sure you're hydrating. You got to increase your iron supplementation, probably magnesium. You've got to eat eat some leafy greens. You got to do everything you can do. Like every little hack behind it, you got to do. But you, like Kirk said, like this is one of those the bill comes due. You got to respect the the demands of what you put your system through. So if it's a non-negotiable for you, then you just plan this as these are your mid-season breaks. And that's, yep. a, that's a nice way to get through the year because you can't shortcut the process. You got to take your break. Yep. So it might, it might be something you can use as a, as a guardrail rather than as a, a hindrance. Or in your off season, like if you're base training and running easy miles, potentially. Um, good on you. I don't think, I mean, as great as it is that you are doing that, I, I don't think it should be done anywhere close or mid-season when high training and high racing is, is happening. You can give plenty of blood after your your high-end career racing is over um but good on you good on you have you donated blood before i have yeah i have once i actually started when lisa and i started dating she liked to donate blood. okay and and by the way like if you do donate blood like two things you should get back on you should get on some sort of iron supplement and you should get on vitamin b complex which is a precursor to like the production of new red blood cells um not that that's going to be a, a magic pills but i would do everything you can for sure yeah, it supplements the process. Might as well help yep. it. Yeah. There's a second part of that, or at least from the same person. Um, I have a favorite workout, which is not part of your online training plan. These, this person is on the plan. I've skipped a few times in order to run instead, but maybe I don't have to. Once a week, I do a kickboxing workout on the heavy bag. It's 10, two to two and a half minute rounds with 30 second rest. It can be moderately hard, but most times it's high intensity. It's less hard on the body as a long run or a heavy carry workout. Can I substitute this for an aerobic workout? We've talked about this with jujitsu mm-hmm. and some of the other classes people like to do. This to me is what you put on your midweek long run day and yep. you just run aerobically beforehand Yep. or afterwards. I guess it doesn't really matter when, if you have the ability run to and from class. Your midweek long run day is your flex day. I feel like it's your flex. one flex day a year. I had an athlete reach out to me yesterday and say, Hey, I want to do your hundred calorie, hundred burpee workout. And he wrote it on the whiteboard, and it just says, Beat Kirk, Tony Wade. He's hitting it today, so I'll be curious how it goes. T. Wade. And he said, where where should I, could I plug this into the week? And I said, Thursday. Let's plug it in. So you're exactly correct. I agree with you. Now, I used to do this, run into this with basketball a lot. When my brother and I were living together, we'd play basketball at least twice a week, either in a men's league or at get some runs in at open gym. And I tried everything. I tried doing my easy run in the morning, basketball at night. I tried doing it, my hard workout right before, and then go play basketball. Uh, I actually set my treadmill challenge record, 171, 
getting home from two and a half hours of basketball, doing a quick dynamic warm up, two strides, and then just getting right into it. Was that on a Nordic track or a non-Nordic track? That was a Star Trek. A Star Trek. Yeah, okay. Nordic track. I don't know if I've gone over like one five one or one five five. Very impressive. I just got my Nordic track back working this weekend, and I've been doing all my yes. uphill work. Thank you. I got the wire in, and Jess's brother's an electrician, so he came over and jigged that thing up. I did electrician work last night. Lisa and I just wired two sconces. Hey, sconces are all the rage right now. But there's a three way switch involved, and we got sconces in our house now too. But. Anyways, I'm scared to go do the same workouts on the Nordic track and get humbled because I've been using, and I've been using, yeah, actually a Star Trek as well. So anyways, I I found different things work for different workouts, but they all work. And what you can always do is just add on afterwards. If you have a long run day, do your kickboxing, then go do an hour afterwards, but you'll find it, test it out. I think it's great supplemental work and it's not a pure quality day. So you can really adjust anywhere, but yeah, flex day. Use that flex day, people. Flex day. All right. I think we got a couple of questions. I can't, oh, I guess we'll just get into it. IJLU House. I think that's Jabari House. I could be wrong. Hey, y'all. Thanks for the suggestion for the best shoe for High Rocks. Side question. When will they have another event in the Southeast, such as Miami or Orlando? Anyway, I hope oh, that's not his question. Here's another question for the next Q&A. Uh, shooting from the hip here. All right. I have been training for a while now just focusing on base building this off season. No races until April. I have a hyper physical job and I'm on my feet a lot. I also do train after work, mostly Metcon weight programs, but also want to incorporate more cardio as well without compromising my strength gains. However, other three weeks or so, I do throw in a high rocks or deca simulation just to track my progress. What cardio suggestions would you advise that will be best? And yes, I do love sprints. What do you think? I mean, my general answer is that the harder you work, the easier you keep your aerobic days, your cardio days. Mm-hmm. Easy runs till the cows come home and you're set. If you're trying to balance strength training in there with then, then you just limit your long run a little bit and you make sure you don't do way too much volume or intensity. But if you love sprints, then I'd add them in sparingly. I'd use them as finishers two workouts, maybe a couple hundreds or two hundreds in there, but I wouldn't do full interval workouts. You combine that with your work stress, your work, just actual fatigue, and then trying to keep your strength work in there. And you got to give somewhere. This is where I feel bad that we don't do these more often because this question is from November 4th. Um, With a race as far out as April for your first race, you know, it would be, I would say, get, you know, keep, keep your foundational strength work and then get low grade time on feet you know, for the last two months, we've gone, we're overdue by like two and a half months right now answering this, but it would have been like, don't worry about all that fancy stuff. Sure. Add some sprints to the end, but just like start laying down some mileage, um, when you can on top of your strength work. But now we're getting to, we're still, we still got time. You still got two and a half, three months until your first race of the year. But if I was answering this in November for you, it would have been go just get some time on, get some more time on feet. You don't need to kill yourself right now, but just get in that base. And what did almost every single coach we had on the coaching philosophy series choose? Base training, aerobic work. We can add skill work in however we want. You can always sharpen up, but the bigger you build it, I mean, you can race off of that stuff. You can. Good quality strength work, especially if you're doing a high rock sim or something like that every two to three weeks, that's enough to race off of. Maybe not your best, but you can race off it and not feel the way you'd feel 
if you hadn't been doing it. Yeah. If I was coaching him, I would have said, let's just nix the high rock sims right now and let's work on raw power and then base running and then start incorporating those high rock sims maybe sometime around now or even wait till February. But sorry about getting to you late there, sir. You know, the more I do this job, the more I see the power of small doses of speed, skill, or or Metcons. Mm-hmm. Small, little, even four to six minute bouts of work once or twice a week. They do not damage you much, but they keep that pathway, that system primed. It's in play. That sting. Yeah, and you can translate that to big workouts relatively quickly. So you don't have to do 60, 70, 80 minute grind miserable sessions. You can do little six, eight minute sessions once a week. And that's not going to impact anything. Mm-hmm. One of the most painful workouts I did just for kicks, because one of my uh, clients challenged me to it, was a simple 15-calorie, 15-burpee Metcon on the assault bike, four-minute time cap for three rounds. That's 12 minutes of work, and it's probably the hardest I had worked even in any recent time. That's 12 minutes of my time, and you're right. And that opened a lot of pathways for me and without putting a lot of like time focus into it. Yeah. I like that philosophy. On recovery runs, I shoot for less than 145 beat per minute. Usually I run around 8-minute pace and tend to be hovering at the 135 to 140 mark for the first two miles. Then without changing pace, I see it spike to 155 to 160. From then on, even if I slow to 838.45, I still have a hard time getting it back down to 145. Is there something I can do to fix this? It's a great question. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe? My answers to these always hurt feelings. Well, there's no magic pill, and there's no magic approach. Um, Why don't you go ahead? If we wipe away the option of technology failure, there are really only two possible causes, right? Go ahead. Your heart rate that you've chosen is too low, or your pace you've chosen is too fast. Mm -hmm. Those are really the only two possibilities outside of something's truly going wrong, like your heart rate monitor or your heart. And if you can rule those two out, you either start slower and say, I don't care about pace, or I need to retest and make sure that this is truly my heart rate. What I find is, let's say you're going for an hour-long recovery run, and your goal is to run 135 beats a minute, let's say. Zero wind, flat, no X factors. If you're pretty fit, you might see a cardiac drift of five beats a minute from the start to the end of that, or none at all. You'll get up to pace. It'll take your heart rate maybe three to five minutes to get up to your 135, and it may drift over an hour from 135 to 140 at the same pace. Maybe. It might not even. It might stay pegged. If your heart rate is drifting that quickly and that high, that means you're going too fast for what you need to be doing for your recovery. It's that simple. I can tell you on my own body, I can... I can peg a pace and a heart rate for over an hour without much change at all. Um, and that means I'm appropriately recovering. So eight-minute pace just might not, be, might not be something to focus on anymore, unfortunately. Uphill Athlete Drift Test is designed to test this exact thing. I believe the, the application of this test, and I should know this because I have people do this, so hopefully I'm correct, 15 minutes to get your heart rate to what you believe is that zone. Let's say for you, 145, this is a good aerobic heart rate. Mm-hmm. Then you hold it for an hour. And their metric for did I choose the correct pace is if it drifts more than 5%. If you drift more than 5%, you started too high up. So if you're drifting that much in... 5% is like 7 beats, 8 beats. Yeah, so if you're drifting 10 beats in 10 to 15 in 16 minutes, 
then then it says that there is a fault in your number somewhere, even the heart, either the heart rate you're choosing or the intensity. So keep in mind that we firmly believe that heart rate zones are intensity, not paces. You track the pace you use at that zone because that tells you your improvement over time or lack of improvement or actually regression. But you run at a heart rate. That is the key. If you can run eight minute pace, eventually you've gotten more fit. If you can run 730, you've gotten very fit. But if you're drifting your heart rate up, then the pace is too fast. Yep. You have to choose the heart rate first. Pace is an indicator. No feelings were hurt in this message, I don't believe. I hope not. I, I have that same chat with myself. <laughs> I've been having that for 15 weeks here, telling myself that, hey, you can go out and just run this pace casually. And I can't. It's, yep. not, it's not happening. Um, S.B. Miller. Hey, fellas. Have a question and not really sure where to go. I just had a VO2 max and lactate threshold done at a local university by an exercise phys professor. He went over the results with me, and the science was just way over my head. I had trouble understanding how to apply this information back to my training. Any advice where to go? I'd assume I need to find a running coach who is well-versed in understanding this data. He did a poor job then. Of helping him understand? Yeah. 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 What did they say? Again, I'm going to reference Dr. Anna. She said, is it, do they say fifth grade, sixth grade? If you can't explain it to a fifth or sixth grade level, you don't truly understand it yourself. Now, I'm not going to apply that to that doctor, but we should all be able to explain in very simple terms what we believe. So he just, he or she failed on their part to give you what's the application. But you really, I've said this before, I believe you only need two pieces of information from the from that sort of testing and that is ventilatory threshold one and two or aerobic threshold and lactate threshold that's it you can play around with all the other stuff it's great but those are accoutrements those are Mm -hmm. those are little little extra things that you don't truly need you just need ventilatory threshold one and ventilatory threshold two and one of them you stay under on all your easy runs and the other one you can you can know that when you're working around that type effort right there you're doing threshold work Yeah, and this question is saved from November 4th, and we did our fundamentals series after this, and I bet you we answered this question in some way through our our little series. So hopefully you listen to that. Should we leave it there? uh, My next screenshot here is not a question. It's one of my screenshots for Save the Receipts. Well, let's share it. I'm not going to read it out loud. Oh, you sure? I got a nasty message from someone. About what? About our podcast or about you personally? About me personally. Oh, man, people. Both my racing ability and my commentating ability. Come on. So I screenshot that bad boy. Oh, you sure you don't want to share that? No, it wouldn't be. Oh, I want to give you a big hug, Bracken. But I got a big old grin on my face that you guys can't see because, man, do I like <laughs> You do. <laughs> he does. I don't like getting stuff like that, but I like saving it and looking back on it because it just... Mm-hmm. Stoke birds are chirping, Kirk. Stoke birds are chirping. I got more. I got a real good one here lined up. Do it. It's from the great Maddie in a really in-depth, well-thought-out question here. Okay. If the zombie apocalypse struck tomorrow and you needed four people on your team to help keep you alive, which four would you choose? This is the type of question I like. Yeah, yeah. Rules. You can't have any of the same people on each of your teams, so I suggest you pick like a draft. Okay, we're going to have to breeze through this one 
Also, three of the four must be OCR athletes. The fourth can be anyone you'd have a reasonable expectation they would actually join your team. At least one must be female and one must be male. The other two can be either gender. Spouses, girlfriends, and your kids are excluded. (laughs) There's a lot of rules here. I'm glad because you don't want to have to make a tough choice. No. So basically, zombie apocalypse, who we fight to the death with. Three need to be OCR athletes. We can't have the same team. Okay. Why don't we do draft style? Why don't you go first? You can go first. So is it, wait, is it three more were included? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Three more. So it's going to be a group of five you get to pick four. Three OCR athletes, one ringer. Okay. (sighs) You can start first. Number one person in OCR to have with uh, Kevin Gelati. <laughs> I know he's got a some sort of bunker system set up. If not an actual bunker, he's got all the supplies needed. He can. I'm assuming he can create his own ammo. He's got all the weapons we could ever need. He lives for this. If this ever happens, it's going to be like waking up on Christmas morning every day for him. <laughs> he brings every skill set to the table that I could ever need. I don't know why I didn't expect you to say that, but that's a good one. Um, all right. I am going to go with, does CrossFit count? They have to have done OCR. No, he's an OCR guy. Jacob Hepner. Tactical games champion, uh, badass athlete, strong, and has got good endurance. Top 10 at the CrossFit games, I believe. And dude has a whole separate account for playing with his weapons. Mm-hmm. So Jacob Hepner, first choice. Robert Killian. Ooh, Robert Killian's good. Uh, he's special forces and multiple different qualifications. He is a multi-time champ of um, best ranger competition. He, as well, owns his own arsenal. And mm-hmm. the man can survive. And he, like Kevin Gelati, don't suffer in any condition. Uh, they can handle cold. I think that's key. you got to be able to survive. All right. So I'm, I'm building a rangy nasty mean set of survivors here yeah you are i like that i'm gonna stick to the same sort of hybrid world here um i'm gonna snipe my female right away which is gonna be corinna coffin mm, she was gonna be um, because um her range of athleticism strength uh she seems to be very cerebral um she's a nutritionist so we could probably survive off of berries and twigs um Appropriately, I don't know if she's a survivalist. They're very different, I guess. But uh, I'm going with Corinna Coffin for my female. Do we have to choose a female? Yes, one must be a female. And now you have to understand, by the way, on my team, if I'm included, I know my way around weapons myself, whereas I don't feel like maybe you do as well. So I feel like I'm comfortable playing one of those roles myself. I'm comfortable operating a firearm. Okay. And I'm fairly, I wouldn't say proficient, but close to proficient with a bow. Okay. I'm not a weaponsologist by any means. I don't own a firearm, but I know how to safely handle and operate. So do we need to go non-OCR now for our third? Uh, no, I need a third, and I don't. Who are your three? You have Hepner, Jacob Hepner, and Corinna Coffin. And I have Killian and Gelati. And my third is going to be, I need a female. Yep. Yes, you do. To say, don't hurt yourself over there, Bracken. Well, there's so many skill sets I want to choose from. They got to make a decision. 
Well, I can go to my, my next one, non-OCR. I'll just go. No. If you want me to. It's a tough one. That's why I sniped Corinna. She's a good fit. Now, if you knew the if you knew the outdoors world as well as I did, now my mind's going to badass female outdoors like survivalists to go in non the OCR community. No, non OCR. That'd be where I'd go with my female. Oh. If you knew that world like I did. All right, I'm just gonna take this person. I you had like a good rationale for yours, and I did so far, but I just have to believe that <laughs> Lauren Weeks can do anything ever. <laughs> she crossed my I'm taking mind. Taking Lauren yeah. Weeks. I like she's, that. She's, I know she's at least fired a weapon. She's stronger than most of the OCR men I could choose. She's faster than most of the OCR men I could choose. Mm-hmm. I've never seen her not be good at something. And I've only had two conversations with her, and they're both very pleasant. Okay. She's an animal. We call her the female version of Hunter. How could I not? Yeah. And it would be a disservice not to pick Hunter, but I'm not going to pick Hunter. Um I've watched him cramp on Boundless too much. <laughs> I've been in a bass boat with that guy, and his ability to cast a fishing rod is leaves something to be desired. Um, I'm going with uh, Cameron Haynes. Cameron Haynes. Cameron Haynes knows his ways around all weapons. He spends weeks at a time out in the bush and in the mountains, and dude runs ultra marathons. So Cameron Haynes, that'd be my squad. Okay, then I am going to take uh, Chad Wright. Who's Chad Wright? He's a ex-Special Forces operator. Um, he is an, an ultra-athlete. He's won the Mid-State Mile, which is the Tennessee Mile Loop, until you drop. Mm. And he's also a motivational speaker and just like a, an all-around stand-up man who can just handle anything, but he's going to be preaching in your ear the whole time how to, how to live the good life and stay the fight. Ooh, I like That's it. Pick. All right, then I guess I need my fourth, and that would be Matt Kempson. I considered Matt. Yeah, for all the reasons. We all can use weapons. Maybe Corinna can or can't. She's from out west. Maybe she's she seems she's like been she's practicing. Been. Right. So we all can throw weapons around. We all have some athletic ability, and uh, I don't think those zombies stand a chance. Bracken, chime in. Which team is gonna Which team is gonna survive the longest? I think people are gonna target me as the weak link. <laughs> you think so? Not wrong. <laughs> Didn't I see a photo of you? This is before we ever knew each other, and I started stalking you on like Facebook or Instagram. And I swear, I saw a photo of you with a pitchfork, like spearing fish, suckers in a river or something. A guy with me probably had a pitchfork. I would, I, I'm, I, I would bowfish. Okay, so I saw a picture of I you back in bows. the day. Yeah. See. Okay. So to give you credibility. I remember being like, oh, I like this guy. He's a pick. You had your shirt off. You were younger. You were in a river. And I swear I you had, had a, a pitchfork. You had a pitchfork yeah. in your hands, and you guys had like a fish stab to it. So to your, I'm building your credibility here. Bracken can hang. He's a spear's fish. I appreciate it. I own yeah. two recurve and one compound. So, I, I mean, I feel like it's a quieter, more efficient. One. All right. There you go. Plus, KG's got me covered. How yeah. from him. <laughs> yeah, you're good there. Wow, that was our longest answer in a long time. That was, but it's just satisfying in a weird way. Are you looking? I got yeah. another one pulled up if you want. Yeah, yeah, pull it up. I'm scrolling. Okay. Through. I take so many screenshots, it's ridiculous. I, I take more screenshots than I send texts. Oh, you do? Well, I have just, as soon as I screenshot it, I put it in my Q&A folder. It's very simple and organized, Bracken. And then it's it's right there. Scott Lurg, double G. Since you are advocating for more of a time-based tracking rather than miles-based, when should I get new shoes? 
Does 500 miles at 8-minute pace simply equal 66.67 hours, or what would you recommend? So transferring, like, let's use time versus mileage to, to gauge our volume. Do we use the same for our shoes? Valid question. Yeah, I'm not a great one for that because I don't even pay attention to the mileage of most of my shoes. I just go by feel in up here. My, my body's sensitive to changes in shoes. The moment, like, the, the cushioning starts to be compromised, my body tells me. And so that's when I get rid of them. And if they're more of workout shoes or race shoes, generally I rip through them or the, the tread starts to go before the cushioning does. So it's a, I would say I'm an intuitive shoe changer rather than a follow the recipe. Well, if we're just going to stay true to our form, it's time on feet versus mileage, especially if you're a mountain runner without question. I would say a lot of times if you run on clean terrain, um, sometimes the soles of your shoes can be liars. You got to feel the inside of the shoe oftentimes to really understand what damage has been done. But I'm just going to short answer, say time on feet. If you want, I don't know how that would equate. I guess his math would be, would work, but yeah, you got to be more intuitive with your shoes. I know people like we talked to Chris, uh, Shipley, Shipley and Chris Shipley put a thousand miles on each pair of shoes or 2000. What do you put on them? Something ridiculous. About like 900 and change. Yeah. His feet were sticking out the ends of them. They were working for him. So who knows? From Obstacle Running Adventures. Yeah. Random questions. What is the meaning of life? Do we even, do we want to answer what is the meaning of life? Um, sure. I don't know. Do Use we? your gifts to your fullest. How about that? And impact the world for the better. Oh yeah. I got this question too. Best female athlete in the North. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I have it. I found that one too. We must've taken the same screenshots, but continue. All right maximize your gifts use them to the best of your ability and impact the world for the better around you Mm -hmm. my answer is the meaning of life is to leave a legacy legacy could be your children to continue on the heritage of your family if you don't have children positive legacy well i guess that's up for debate but i think you should leave a legacy whatever that means leaving podcast episodes up for eternity or if it means bringing your kids up right to do better things in the world than you did. You got to leave your legacy, which means create something that will be there after you're dead. I like that. How's that sound? Other than YouTube, best bromance in OCR. Other than you too or YouTube? <laughs> Other than us TWO. Other than you and I, best bromance in OCR. I I think that bromance is a superficial term that we, we, what we have is deeper than a bromance, but I'll accept that we have the best bromance in OCR. We have a committed relationship. Yeah, we have a, we have a deep-seated bond. Yeah, meaning we're not going to jump ship when shit gets rocky. We're Correct. committed to seeing through tough seas, rough seas. What do you think? Who's the best bromance? I, I think it's probably Aaron Newell and Ryan Atkins. Is that a one-sided thing? <laughs> that's a fair question <laughs> i think it's both sides ryan doesn't post about Lindsay much i don't expect him to post about aaron as much but they're always doing stuff together they seem mm-hmm. to have a lot of shared passions and ryan seems to appreciate aaron's brand of crazy and they seem to get around along very well mm-hmm. what do you have i guess in truest sense i'd say the biggest bromance would be the thorsten brothers oh they're always out there adventuring together so I'm going to go with uh, Eric and Rob. Doesn't get broier than true brothers. That's what I'm saying. And at one time, maybe it would have been Matt and Ryan Kempson. They went to every race together, and they really have each other's backs. Um, but I haven't seen as much of them doing the same things lately. So who knows? And I think they get on each other's nerves as much as they like. As brothers do, right? 
Not that I would know. I have two sisters. Yeah, punches are thrown as often as hugs sort of thing. I think so. Yeah. All right. From one of my athletes, Charmaine Davis, Cardi Davis. Um, I don't even think she uh, – she didn't mean for this to be a Q&A, but I screenshot it anyways. So sorry if I'm out and you hear Cardi, who's been killing it, by the way. Mm. It's amazing. I don't know about you, but I got – you know, it's base phase training, and we're starting to maybe – segue out of that but i have a number of athletes who pr'd on base phase training who've never really done like the threshold work and the tempo work and it's amazing just to see she's one of them who has never really done it and she's just banging out new numbers it's it's kind of cool to see people haven't done it before right yeah one one common phrase i'm hearing right now is i feel like i could race off this yeah like yeah baby hey yo do yeah um for the past two weeks i had a lot of body aches neck lower back shoulders I was still doing yoga stretching and foam rolling. I thought it was a good idea to get a massage. However, I felt worse afterwards. I have never felt this way during my training season. Is this typical? I felt like my body was punishing me for not moving as much. She had taken some downtime. Well, what she's saying is she, she'd she actually taken some recovery time, and she felt kind of worse, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, that's common for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's it the the point isn't always how you feel during it. It's how you feel in the next week or two. Like your overall energy for workouts is up. Yeah, right. sedentary breaking your rhythm can cause soreness in people. You're not using it and not taking things through the range of motion as much. And yeah, some people actually feel worse. Range of motion. And I generally have something pop up after I get a massage or chiro work. It addresses mm-hmm. what I need, and like my back the next day or two like has a twinge or something. That's just the way it happens with. Yeah, I mean, stagnancy is sort of death, right? And if you end up, you know, even when we say like take off days or take rest days, we say what does it mean? It doesn't mean sitting on the couch. It, it still means like you can go actively move, just not get that heart rate up. And a lot of times that fascia and like our tendons and ligaments, the insertion points, when we don't use them, just gets so dang stiff on us, especially as you as you age. Um, I notice a bigger difference. Like you feel much better in a workout flow than when you don't. And I actually find that strength training is kind of the key. Like some people say the best mobility work is strength work, meaning like if you get low with your lunges and you get low with your squats, you're doing all the range of motion work you need to be an efficient runner. So save the stretching for never, right? And so a lot of times if you take off of that strength work and lose that range of motion, um, people can start to feel real, real kinky. Ooh. Yeah. That's right. I've been using Easy Strength by Dan John. Uh, you mentioned it to me before, yeah. Something he got from Pop. But I did a I did a block of that as I was coming back from injury, and now it's my go to like weighted yoga. It just takes me through my range of motion. It makes me engage things under some tension, but I'm not moving enough weight to cause to accrue any damage. And I'll mm-hmm. just use that on days where I feel like crap. It just helps me. Yep. I often feel better after a strength training day. If I go lighter and just go through the motion and really full range stuff, I may pop yeah. one of my better workouts I have in a long time the next day. My body's just like fluidly moving. You've noticed that too? Yeah, and a lot, a lot of times if I'm a little beat up, but I know I shouldn't skip anything, I'll do easy strength. And it's only like 25 minutes long, 30 mm-hmm. minutes. And I'll get done with that and be like, oh yeah, I could run. And then I go do yeah. my workout, but it just it did something. My, my, my older sister... We're going to have to have her on at some point. She was a world-level gymnast and everything. But she, like a decade ago, told me, you know, I've been doing core workout as part of my warm-up. 
and I just having way better workouts. Hmm. I thought that's weird, but there might be something to it. And the more I do some of this stuff, I think some weighted movements and some core work prior might just be your best primer. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. Yep. It's funny. I usually double up. Um, I double up on my strength days. Like this morning I lifted and I did some Bulgarian split squats, lunges, thrusters, heavy. And then I got in the assault bike for just some recovery work. And almost every time like clockwork, the afternoon after I do a morning strength session, my legs just feel good and I'm ready to like work. And they, it should be the opposite because I put damage to them. And it's, it almost always happens that way. Very interesting. But you got to get through that early part first. Correct. You've correct. earned that right. Over many years, yes. Um, you got one? You want me to throw another one at you? What do you think? Uh, no, go. All right. Um, Scott Zanini. I recently ran a half marathon, 136, and my average heart rate for the full run was 167 and pace was 72 or 722 per mile. To help answer my, to help answer my question, I know some thresholds are calculated off of one hour of work, so my average heart rate for the first hour was 164 and 719 pace. Does this make either of these numbers my aerobic threshold, lactate threshold, or something else? And then he says, context behind the question. I run my quality days off of pace, effort, my easy days off of heart rate, and strictly follow 80-20 principles. And I'm trying to make sure my paces and heart rate zones are calculated correctly. So, great question. If, if his average heart rate was 164 for the first hour, does that mean it's his lactate threshold or no? What was his total time? Uh, 136. Okay, so don't, uh, it does not mean that because you kept on working afterwards. That one hour of work is like gun to your head. What can you get done in an hour and drop at the finish line? Yep. Which is why for most people it's not 60 minutes because they can only sustain it for less than that. So no, it's not. And it's not your aerobic threshold either because you keep that for hours. It's somewhere in between. That might be like what cyclists would consider like sweet spot training, functional threshold power, somewhere in there. But no, it's... If you if your pace dropped off a cliff at an hour, I would say that 165 is probably a beat or two under your true anaerobic threshold. But no, unfortunately, it's it's somewhere less than your anaerobic. Yeah, yeah. He asked, are these numbers my aerobic threshold, lactate threshold, or something else? And the answer would be something else. But it's going to be indicative. You might get an idea, like you could shoot from the hip, close to 170. Yeah, you could just add a few beats there and get close yeah if you had if that was your result what would you try to approximate your lactate threshold at based off of a 165 for 96 minutes well he was a 167 for oh 167 96 minutes i would guess that his threshold is probably 171 or 172 what about you i think that's probably yeah somewhere between 68 and 72 would be my guess yeah his lactate threshold yeah yeah right around 170 but even that's different for some people. Some people can run within a beat or two of that, and some people are going to be like 10 beats off that for night. Yeah. Um, someone asked for a story. said, I remember you telling a story about Under Armour and a friend named Jeff. Can you repeat that on a Q&A? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go. save that for if we have enough time. Well, well here's the deal, because I have to be off in nine minutes or less. Mm-hmm. So you tell me. Do we want to talk about it now? We'll save it till the end. We'll get through these questions. Okay. All right. Here, here's a question for you. Uh, newer to running, just started working towards a journey of completing a 10 miler at a state park, 1200 feet of elevation gain involved. I'm a bigger guy, 6'3", 260, hoping to get 
much lower by race day. I'm working my way through your catalog, but do you have any episodes that are more targeted to beginners? Yeah, uh, start with our, our philosophy of training episodes. Um, that Those are great. You can hear a bunch of different coaches talk about what they want. Listen mm-hmm. to our terminology, running terminology 101 episodes, and then listen to the ones we just did in December about the uh, fundamentals. Fundamentals. Fundamentals of training. Those right there will really get you through it. And then I think the best way for a new runner to pick up a lot of different stuff will just be to go through and listen to the Q&As. So we're talking about a lot of those like stream of conscious thoughts that people have about, hey, what does this mean or that? And we give our best answer for those. But we've never done an actual episode about how to begin running and do it appropriately. Maybe we should put that one on the docket, which I know would be like taking a step back, but maybe necessary because we've never done that, like how to properly introduce running into your to your life. John May, thank you very much for that. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to ask one more here just to make sure we're, we're good on time. Um, Scott Neth. Scott, uh, also a question for the next question and answer. You guys talk a lot about working on your cadence first and foremost during easy and recovery runs. Personally, I struggle with a slow cadence, usually 159 to 165 uh, strides per minute. So in order to speed up my cadence, my steps become super tiny and choppy. You also preach the importance of running with good mechanics, and I agree that both are very important. But I can't seem to run with good mechanics and improve my cadence on recovery runs because I end up running faster than recovery pace. What do I do? I mean, he you said that was Scott Neff? Yep. Scott, you described me. That's me. And me. Neither of us, if you look at our, our, our Strava, are high-cadence runners. Um, interestingly, ASICs put out two super shoes in the past calendar year the meta speed sky and the meta speed edge and the sky is meant for runners who lengthen their stride as they get faster and the edge is meant for runners who increase their cadence as they want to go faster Hmm. so it's so prominent that a global brand even put out a shoe option at 249 dollars or whatever it is for the two different types of strides do they work for that i couldn't tell you but the point is, that's a real thing that affects a large percentage of runners. And I think you strive for like that. If it, this was a, were a graph and you had on one side a line that said cadence and one that said perfect stride, you, you run the one where they intersect currently. Mm-hmm. You run the best of both worlds and you try to just improve. Don't let yourself go too fast. Don't let yourself go too choppy. Try to run the best of both worlds early and then just refine that over time. And just to like clarify, which we have, I believe, but just to reiterate, I guess... When they come up with this magic number of 180 strides per minute, you know, they took the average, was it half marathon distance? I forget what this initially, this philosophy was They looked based at off 5K, 10K, half marathon, and marathon. 5K. No, okay. 5K, 10K, and marathon, and they might have even looked at the mile. Okay, well, what they did is basically they took the best athletes in the world and they averaged out their cadences where one, one of the athletes might be at 170 strides per minute and one might be at 190 and another might be at 172 and another at 168, and they all or one, whatever, 82. And, they, and anyways, it all averaged out to 180. So it's not saying like every person at the Olympics that year who ran well had a stride cadence of 180. It's just the lump average sum of good athletes. So that doesn't mean that 180 is actually your best cadence. It's just like, it's an approximation for people to go off of. 
um, yeah. which means 170 or something might be absolutely optimal for your biomechanics. It's it's not um, a golden rule, so to speak. And they went off the people who did well, which means they were accelerating at the end. Sure. I remember looking at, I think it was Bernard Lagat's data, and he was running at like 204 or 206 the last right. 200 meters. You know, so that skews the data too. So again, I always like to say, it's like saying that your body temperature is supposed to be 98.6. Lisa's always like 99.1, and I'm like 97.9 always. Yep. It just, we all sit at a different spot. But unlike your core temperature, you can try to optimize it. So start with your best version of you and then try to make it better. I like it. Should we do one more quick one? Yeah. Or no? Yeah, do another one. Now I got to find my... I'm out. All I have is that Under Armour story with Jeff Claves. Well, why don't we just do that one, wrap on that. <laughs> okay. Well, Jeff Claves, I'm about to, I think the... Statute of limitations no longer applies to this. But my buddy Jeff was one of my best friends, one of my two best friends in high school, and he became my roommate my freshman year. And we went down on partial scholarship to Campbell University together. And he had two groups of friends, me and some of my buddies, and then another group of friends who were a little bit rougher and into some things. And they really liked stealing stuff. And I didn't think Jeff was involved. He was just along for the ride. Mm -hmm. These guys went everywhere with players and with tools for popping off the ink cartridges on on clothing like they, they were legitimate they went someplace they were there to steal well, jeff unbeknownst to chris another buddy of mine and myself was stealing with us when we were at stores we'd always drive to running stores or shoe stores or you know just sport sporting goods stores and he'd always buy a bunch of stuff and then one day he revealed to us that he was just stealing it most of it he'd go in the changing room he'd put on five layers of stuff and then he'd go out and he'd buy one thing we're like, Jeff, you're going to get us arrested. Come on, man. He's like, I won't do it with you anymore. But he, he just loved stealing stuff. He was a great guy. He was a klepto. <laughs> well, Under Armour was a big thing at the time. Under Armour compression gear was really new to the market, and it was trendy, and he stole a lot of Under Armour. He could fit a lot of that underneath the sweatshirt. Yeah, and it was expensive stuff. It was all like minimum 59 a pop. Mm -hmm. And we went down to North Carolina where we didn't have a lot of cold, but you start to become a baby about cold. And on our first real cold morning run, he went out with Under Armour tights, Under Armour long sleeve, Under Armour hat, like a vest or something anyways. And he got the trots in the middle of the run. His body rebelled against him and he had explosive diarrhea. And he was like, guys, I don't, I don't think I can make it back. Like, well, you're going to have to make a business decision, Jeff. And so eventually he pulled over to the side, went in the woods, you know, launched and used his socks. Mm -hmm. And then next time he used his gloves. And then he was out of disposable items. And by the time he got back there, he had compression shorts on. He had lost his pants. He had lost his top. He had lost everything. He had lost like $250 worth of Under Armour gear. Karma <laughs> had come back to bite him, and it was just smeared with poop somewhere in the North Carolina wilderness. <laughs> and, and I feel like the universe balanced itself that day. Uh, that makes me feel all right. I mean, he still was out $0, I suppose. It was, but he is now a head track coach at a D1 program. Did he ever steal after that day? Did he take it as karma? I think he was done stealing by then. Okay, all right. But yeah, he's a great guy. He was one of the people that was on the list of people that could, could marry my sister. Oh. Except for his kleptomania. Well, I don't know if you've ever talked about that on the podcast before. And if you did, I don't recall. I think I alluded to it one okay. time and never when we were talking about maybe doing a poop episode. 
Mm, we still get requests for that one. <laughs> yeah, he probably had diarrhea six times on the three-mile run back to the coach's office. It was just a mile out, three-mile back, and he couldn't make it. I'm going to knock on wood. I've never had an experience like that out there yet. God was just stomping on his bladder like, you're going <laughs> to learn today. <laughs> Here you go, buddy. Okay, well, we're going to abruptly end this thing because uh, the gym has a – it's my name on it. I got to get there. So to kick butts. Anything you want to wrap with? Callie, if you're listening, we got 48 hours till go time. Hey, good luck. I'm going to be watching. Can we follow this anywhere? Ours, I don't think that. I think Lisa will be able to post stories. Okay. But then I think I'm going to go afterwards with Matt and cover the pro waves. Sweet. So there'll be the men and women championship race will get covered by moi. All right. But I'll be paying attention. Me. Good luck, man. Go get them. Actually, let's just put Lisa on our Instagram and she'll do live stories. Yeah, let's do that. That's what we're doing. All right. right. That's a wrap, folks. See ya.